This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This is Jeff Lindsay. This is Michael Pitt. Hey everybody, it's John Dudley from Knock On TV. Hey guys, this is Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline. Hi, I'm Taylor Drury from Drury Outdoors. Hey, this is Nick Mutt from Bow Collector. Hey, this is Melissa Buckman. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter podcast. Working class bow hunter podcast. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. You're listening to the Working Class Bow Hunter. That's right. This is a podcast for Billy Joe Lunch Bucket, the working man, just like me and you. My name's Travis T. Bone Turner from the Bone Collector. Thank you for tuning in. It's really, really not that good. It is episode number 156 of the Working Class Bowhunter Podcast right here, beautiful Sherrard, Illinois, 1600 Buckslayer Place right in the Buckatorium. I've said that almost 157 times and I almost forgot where we were. <laughs> I love it. That's the best thing about it. <laughs> All right. We're um, right here in Kurt's crib. I am Steve. There's Kurt. Kurt here as always. Eric is working. We miss that poor fella. He's been gone the last few episodes, but that's just the way it, it's the way it rolls at Working Class Bowhunter. Um We'll get right into it. No one wants to hear sponsorships no. and stuff. We're going to get into the content. But quickly, the podcast is sponsored by HHA Sports. Our buddy Scott Bakken was in Texas, shot at Axis Deer. Yes, sir. Pretty cool. Um, check out HHA, leader in single pin sites. They got the new Virtus 22 drop away rest. Um, we appreciate their support for the show. Also brought to you by Scent Crusher. Scent Crusher, Dan Drake. From Speaking Scent of Axis Deer. Killed an Axis Deer this, year, or this week as well. Um, appreciate all their support. Um, their and product it, is backed by science. Um, the earth is flat and their products work. So two true statements. 
is <laughs> yeah <laughs> from the ozone go to the the gear bag to the closet to the wash station all all the, everything they have is awesome it really does work we believe in it um give it a shot yeah. uh, if you're on the fence a lot of people are on the fence about scent crusher give it a shot let us know what you think and hey if you want to spend money but uh you know you're not really sold on people uh, killing axis deer if you want people to kill black bear that shoot product elite archery two black bears hit the uh Hit the dirt this week. This week as well. Larry McCoy and Ross Bigger uh, for Respect, Respect the, the game. game. Yes, sir. On Sportsman's Channel. Uh, but Elite Archery sponsors the podcast. Super thankful for that. I'm shooting the Tempo this year. Steve is shooting the... Option 6. And Eric has the Option 7. Um, we got the variety. The, I don't know if it's just the bows, but my Tempo shoots way better than their options. Mm. I think it's more me than, than anything. Um, but, you know... My tempo shoots amazing, way more amazing than their options because I just hit the X every time. You know? Okay, well, uh, we'll see how that's going because I was shooting pretty, pretty good at the 3D <laughs> shoot like two weeks ago. I've been out of town for three weeks and yeah. I haven't shot my bow. <laughs> <laughs> um, all joking aside, though, check out Elite Archery. Great bows. It's it's confidence in the bow you shoot, and that's where we find our confidence. So, um, Smith's Custom Meats and Deer Processing. Don't forget, we've got to get Scott in here for uh, for an episode. He's got to strike while the iron's hot. That's right. We'll get him in here. We'll uh, you know review the last season and see what happened. Yeah, super thankful for them. Um, you know, we always make the point. This is more for our local listeners. If you're in the area, eastern uh, Eastern Iowa, western Illinois, if you can make it within, I would say even a couple hour drive of Smith's, it's it's worth it. If you know, you chase after the critters so bad, you put everything into it, and when you get it, you know, you eat it. You feed it to your family. You want it done right, clean, and you want it done by someone that knows what they're doing and cares about the product they put out. Um, he stands behind what he does, and he he can answer almost any question that you have about how things are done or how, you know, whatever it is. He'll help you how to cook it and samples if you're on the fence about trying something. He, super helpful. Um, the whole family is amazing, and you couldn't ask for a better uh, deer well, processing. Andrew's okay. Yeah, he's all right. He's all right. But Scott, man, outstanding human being. Top notch. Check him out. Smith's Custom Meats and Deer Processing. Put it in the Google. It's 2017. <laughs> put it in the Google. Yeah, as you said that in 2017, yeah, put it in the Google. <laughs> anyway, uh, vet shout out this week. Dark Horse Lodge. Peaceful retreat for combat vets. You want to give them money? Go to darkhorselodge.org. They're going to put it to a great cause. Fantastic story behind why it's going up. But again, you know, find them on social media. Darkhorselodge.org is a website once again. If you don't want to do that, but you buy stuff on Amazon, go to smile.amazon. Put it into the Amazon, as Kurt would say. Right. Smile.amazon.com. You'll be able to select that charity. It's not going to cost you anything more. And a uh, portion of those proceeds will go to the Dark Horse Lodge. Get into the show. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy it. Let us know what you think. Give us a rating on iTunes. We love you. All right. On the phone with us, we have the infamous, most famous, Sean Lucktoll from Heartland Bowhunter and of various uh, other shows that we'll get into. Sean, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good here. Just uh, been working all day, actually, in the office, which uh, isn't my favorite thing to do, but somebody's got to do it, so... <laughs> yeah, hey, it works for the birds, man. I try to do as very little as possible, but, eh, you know. Well, it works out <laughs> that it's not hunting season now. It's kind of like in a weird lull. I guess if you want to if you want to say there's a lull, depends on what you're doing, if you have food plots or after turkey season and 
all that stuff. But uh, at least you get to talk hunting with us. So I thank you for your bravery on coming on our podcast. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to excited to get this thing going. All right. Well, we'll check back in an hour and see how excited you were about this. So <laughs> okay, sounds good. I'll see you guys then. <laughs> so. Go ahead and tell everyone who you are and what you do, and um, we'll start with that. So, uh, we're actually, I'm Sean, like you guys said, with Heartland Bowhunter. We've been doing the show. We're going into our 11th season of filming um, wow. this coming fall. So, been doing it for 10 years. Um, our uh, our new stuff's about to air on the Outdoor Channel, uh, what, next week, actually, Um We've been on Carbon TV for four years now, so we've gotten that system down pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all bow hunting. Uh, we take pride in not only bow hunting, but uh, filming our hunts and our production work. Um, we, we spend a great deal of time in the field just trying to produce the best quality stuff that we can and telling the best story that we possibly can. Travel all over the Midwest um, and out into the western states, and there's... I think there's 10 or 11 of us kind of goes back and forth here and there um, that film for the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are Mike and I who, who f- um, own the show and work full time for it. And then we have a, a few guys that work full time as well for us. And then the rest of the guys are part time, but um, you know, they, they work their butts off and help us produce um, all the content that we can between television and digital media. And uh, here we are today. Going into our eleventh season. Well, there you go. You got to have the part-time workers working the hardest. You know, that's gotta- right, man. <laughs> I mean, they really do. They they work extremely hard, um, and pretty much everyone's been with us since the the beginning. So I'd say everyone's doing the right thing, and we got a good system down, and just trying to better ourselves every year. Well, talking about the beginning, how did it all start, and where did it all come from? Like, what's the roots of Heartland Bowhunter? So Mike and I, um, who's actually in Mexico on vacation with his wife. I'll be there uh, next week. So will I. <laughs> I saw you got married last weekend, kind of cutting out here, but I'm getting married yeah. this Saturday. Oh, are you? Yeah. Congratulations, man. It's, uh, Congratulations it's, a, it's well. a cool thing to do now. It's it's fun. Yeah, you guys have fun with that. <laughs> it's in fashion. But, uh, <laughs> are you the, getting married in Mexico? I don't, I'm, I'll get back to what we were talking about in a second, but I'm just interested in what you're saying now. <laughs> no, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting married in, uh, a small town, Illinois, and, uh, going to Riviera Maya, uh, the following week. Are you serious? Yeah. That's where I'm going. Really? Yeah, I'm. Uh, my wife actually just told me that today because she's the one that booked it a while ago, and I just knew we were going to Cancun or whatever. And then she's like, "Yeah, we're going to Riviera Maya, and we're staying at." Oh, she just told me this too. Um, gosh, I'm I'm probably wrong, but I thought she said like Sapphire or something like that. I don't remember where you're. I'm in the same exact boat because my old lady booked mine too, and I don't know any details. <laughs> um, but I'll find out after the podcast, and I'll text you when I know for sure, because that would be too yeah. funny if we were at like the same resort. What if you guys were like rooms right next to each other? And that would be pretty podcast. F- I'd feel bad for him, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honeymoon. Yeah, I forgot about that. I'm excited. I'm going. I'm actually going for a wedding, but it's like our mini um, honeymoon as well. So I don't. I literally don't know a person other than my wife going. So I'm up for meeting anybody. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I will text you after. I'll find out the details and we'll get because that'd sure. be too funny. We we do a podcast in Mexico. 
Well, they yeah. love that. Oh, that yeah. would be funny. I'm sure mine would too. <laughs> <laughs> Good honeymoon, but, honey. But I got to do a podcast on the beach. Heartland bow hunter duty calls. Hey, you know? that's right. We'll have to do it over a couple beers. <laughs> <laughs> so back, anyway. back to how Heartland bow hunter started. That's too funny, though. Yeah, that is. Um, so Mike is in Mexico, but anyways, uh, Mike and I went to middle school together, um, and then high school together and he played football and I played sports up until high school and I don't know our, our school was so competitive and so big that I'm just a little guy I was like man I don't need to do that I'm not gonna make it far with it so I took up hunting more um because my dad had introduced me that to that at a young age and so I was bow hunting like crazy um so obviously we had uh similarities with that because Mike was already hunting as well and um, as soon as he quit playing football, we would, we would hunt together. And, um, eventually we just picked up a camera and going into college, we were starting to film our stuff. Um, just a little bit, just messing around. And we, we started to get a little more serious as we went into freshman year and mm-hmm. started a business not long after that. And, um, it was just an online deal. And then we, we graduated or went towards TV. And, um, from there we worked our way up um to the outdoor channel i think five years ago and so we've been on that network since then and then carbon tv came in to the picture the next year and uh started producing content there and that's kind of the short version of it we actually started making a tree arm i forgot to mention um and since we were we were using that trying to sell it um my dad had a machine shop they were manufacturing it we were just trying to sell it um we wanted to come out with quality footage to show what the arm could actually do and so that was the reason that we started to market um what we were doing was because of the tree arm and that kind of pushed the idea of the uh television show interesting that's cool that's the american dream hey if you got an idea and something doesn't work out something else could come off of it but uh you know heartland bow hunter is one of those shows that everybody knows we've talked about you guys on this countless times you know anytime we talk about how a honey and in my personal opinion how a hunting show should be filmed it's you guys it the you know obviously you guys are using different equipment than everyone else the b-roll is fantastic you know how much research did you guys throw into this i mean did you do any schooling you know for for videography uh um, how did so this my- happen yeah, Mike and I were both entrepreneurship majors, um, and we neither one of us have any education um, on paper from any sort of film school or anything like that. So yeah, we, we were self-taught in that aspect, and it was just kind of a passion that we we took up when um, we started filming hunting stuff. And one of our friends at the time, which is he's still a friend, um, we just have different interests. He was into skateboard films and stuff like that. And I'd seen the stuff that he uh, was putting out there on, on Facebook actually. And I just noticed he had a different eye um, than anyone else. And his production side of things, as far as post production goes um, was completely different. And so we collaborated actually. And that was kind of what gave us a facelift after our second or third year. And um, Trevor, who is who I'm talking about, he, uh, he worked with us until, think our eighth season but he is not a hunter uh whatsoever and so he went into feature films and he's been making a feature film since then and so we're we're still good friends but 
you know, we, we kept rolling with what we were doing and, uh, that's where it went. So, yeah. And, and see, that's interesting that you, that you bring that up, you know, cause, uh, you know, when I'm watching hunting shows, I do like that, you know, you can kind of get that there might be an outside influence. Uh, a couple of buddy, buddies of ours, uh, Chip City, who's a producer and Jordan Johnson, who produces for Whisperwood Outdoors. Those uh-huh. guys, what's funny is both those guys are into skateboarding too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, growing up, I loved skate videos too. And I just, I, I, bringing something like that into the hunting industry, it's really refreshing to see things like that. And I, I'm, I think that's why I was drawn to what you guys do. So that's, that's interesting to know. Um, I enjoy things like that. I don't know if anyone else likes their tradition, traditional, just sitting in the truck some corny b-roll or some deer whatever but you guys do it good i don't know if anyone else is into it like i am well i appreciate that yeah we we uh we just wanted to put something out there that was different and actually when we came into the the uh the industry i feel like there was there wasn't anything out there like that and there wasn't a focus on quality production really or storytelling and Mm -hmm. that was really just our our niche and if that wasn't there we wouldn't be here today. I mean, if someone else had picked up on that before us, then I don't think we would uh, we would be anywhere close to as success- successful as we have been. For sure. Well, a quick question I was wondering, too, is, you know, you guys have been doing this for a long time now. It doesn't seem like that long, but it's like nowadays you look back, like 10 years goes by so quickly. So it's like, I mean, I feel like the po- we're getting into almost, what are we, going in year three of our podcast. Next thing I know, we'll be on year 10 and still doing – talking about the same stuff but uh did you notice like a line like a hard line in your popularity or the growth of the show to where it's like did you film for i'm just curious did you go for a couple of years then all of a sudden you'd be somewhere and someone's like hey you're sean from heartland bowhunter or, or did that ever happen or did, did yeah yeah like um i want i mean once like our fifth or sixth season rolled around um and once we made the move to the outdoor channel and um started our stuff up with carbon tv it uh it it blew up um and you could i think the best way to actually um i don't know measure that was through social media like our social media avenues just blew up i mean we were getting like thousands of fo- like a thousand followers a week at one point and Crazy. yeah and um you'd start to go around and people would notice you and stuff like that and it's not that often here I, we live in kansas city so it's it's a fairly decent sized town um but I mean, just yesterday I was talking to a guy um, that's uh, a family friend uh, through my wife, actually, and he's not a hunter whatsoever. But he was he was telling me how he was talking to his brother in law about what we do, and he's like, "Oh my gosh, you know him? Like, you've got to be kidding me! Is he like? Is he what's he like in person? Is he like that on? Te- or is he like what he's? You know, is he the same in person as he is on television?" And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> it's just funny to like when when you are talking to someone you don't expect anything like that to happen and people kind of freak out here and there so that and, and i consider myself to be a 100 percent normal person i don't feel like i have a celebrity status around here or anything like that but when it does actually happen it's it's kind of cool to see but also a little different as well right <laughs> i've, I've had that, you feel good i yeah you know, I, yeah i'm not i'm not trying to put myself over anything but i've had that happen a couple times where i like i've been but in a different way. I'll be talking to someone, because we do it, it uh, the podcast here in Sherrard, Illinois, small town. You know, I'll be talking to someone, and they'll, you know, say something about, you know, hunting or whatever. And, you know, they'll just things will get brought up. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do a, I do a bow hunting podcast. 
you know, I'll say it, and they go, yeah, I know. I've listened to every episode. <laughs> oh, they're like, yeah, I know exactly who you are. I'm like, okay. But it, it's very polite. You know, they're not, like, ogling over you. So it's... Well, we signed our first uh, hat this week that I've never been asked to sign anything before. I'm like, why do you want me to sign a perfectly good hat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, I'm going yeah. to ruin it. But, uh, yeah, it is cool. So, uh, moving on, let's talk about uh, Full Strut and Carbon TV. Um, absolutely love Carbon TV. And I just want to say, hey, Carbon TV, you need a podcast. I'm just saying. you got to get in the podcast hey. game. Just give me a call. Um, how did... Full strut and behind the draw come to be on on Carbon TV. So um, we had, we pride ourselves in, in turkey hunting. I mean, we love it just because that's kind of that's how we grew up. We all turkey hunted around here, um, and we were producing some turkey stuff for TV. But we obviously thought that Whitetail was going to be a little bit better than that. So mm-hmm. we were able to produce 13 episodes of Whitetail content or Mule Deer, stuff like that, big game. Um, and so we had all this turkey content that we were still filming um, just as often and as much content as we would for, for Whitetail. And we didn't really have anywhere to go with it. And Carbon TV approached us about what they had going on. Um, and... You know, we partnered on it and we came up with full strut and then behind the draw kind of stemmed off of that because we still had a little bit of extra content from our fall stuff. So we wanted to uh, produce another original series uh, for carbon TV for um, whitetail and big game, big game hunting. Cool. Is that when you add something like that to your workload, is that kind of overwhelming? Um. No, because behind the draw is uh, is stuff that was already has already been shot. Um, it, it's not shot necessarily specific for behind the draw or necessarily Heartland Bow Hunter. It's I mean we're just out there producing as much possible content uh, as we can every fall, regardless of if it's just going to be for television or digital media. Um, we're just out there getting as much as we possibly can. Uh, same with. Same with um, the turkey stuff, just because even if we weren't doing carbon carbon TV, we would probably have our own um, digital avenue that we'd come up with because we we enjoy producing the content. So, you know, if we're out there hunting anymore, it's like we might as well film it. I mean, I, we went hunting in Texas, Mike and I, was it, uh, two or three weeks ago for Axis deer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd never done that before, and we didn't film it. And that was the first time I'd done that in, man, had to be six, seven years. And it was, it was refreshing for sure. But then once you're done, you're like, oh, man, I can't even go back and watch any of that. So, I mean, I, I enjoy both sides of it. But for the most part, I would rather be out there producing just because it's it's our job and it is still our passion. So Yeah. Right. I, you right. know, I, I want to ask a question because I've seen it a lot recently. Uh, a lot of people have been uh, hunting Axis deer. Uh, mm-hmm. I, maybe I don't I, I, I don't know if it was just like, a, you know, maybe we just happen to be friends with some people who did. But what's the what's the draw that uh, is this their season or, you know, it's only. Yeah, I had. Yeah, I had absolutely uh, no idea what I was getting into. Um Ben O'Brien from Yeti had invited Mike and I down for just a few days. He's like, we'll go hunt Axis deer and hogs and stuff. And we're like, okay, yeah, it'll be fun just to go hang out, whatever. 
you know, we don't, I'm, we weren't taking it seriously or anything like that. And, um, we're on our way down there and I'm like, man, I don't know about this access deer thing. I don't, I've never, never done it before. And I've, I've actually kind of stereotyped it. Um, just thinking it was high fence stuff. And I'm like, if this is high fence, I probably won't do it. And we get there and it was not high fence. It was on, uh, Mike Stroff's ranch actually. And, uh, so we go out there the first day and they put us in a tree stand and they're like, these axis deer are rutting. So, you know, they may just come cruising by roaring. I'm like, what? What do you mean roaring? And so we're sitting in this tree, Mike and I, the first, first morning and you can just hear them all over the place roaring and we never saw any. So we're like, all right, I'm not going to sit in a tree stand, you know, for hours on end. I don't have the patience for it right now just because it's summertime. It's hot. Like, let's just try and spot and stalk these things. And they're like, yeah, you can try that. So that's what we did for the next two days. And it was an absolute blast. They were everywhere. And it was like mini elk running around rutting. And like, you'd, you'd get into a herd of like 20 of them and you're going after the, like the herd buck, I guess you'd call it. And, uh, you'd blow stalks left and right. But I mean, you could walk another 200 yards and come up on another group of them. And it, it was so much fun. And then on top of that, uh, Mike and I both missed, um, but we got, we were able to eat another guy's axis deer that had killed one in camp. And, uh, the meat is phenomenal. Really? Yeah. It's super good. Like everyone down there is claiming that it's better than elk, deer and moose and stuff. Um, I'm not going to say that yet, but I, I, I would say it's definitely better than deer. Um, with the one that we ate, it was, it was really, really good. So I will definitely do it again. And then Ben actually went to, um, Hawaii just this past week with Joe Rogan and they were hunting on an Island. These after, for these axis deer, these free range axis deer running around and they killed some and they just like packed them off the mountain, took them down to the beach and, and cooked them on a grill. Yeah. Like, John Dudley shot one. No way. Yeah. Yeah. John was there uh-huh. too. Yeah. Yep. I saw that they did a podcast on that hunt, and I was going to listen today at work, but I didn't. But it's funny that you mentioned those axis deer because our buddy Dan Drake from Scent Crusher shot one this week, and our good buddy. Yeah, I know, Dan. Do you, and, and, do you know Scott Bakken from HHA? Uh, I probably do. I just can't put a name to the face right now. He shot one. I don't know. The picture went up today. I knew uh, a couple of weeks ago he called me like, hey, I'm going to Texas to hunt an axis deer. And I'm like, oh, I good luck and he shot one today or within the last few days for sure yeah it was something that like i completely i thought was just you know dumb to be honest with you. <laughs> i was like i don't you know i don't i have no idea what those things are they're like an exotic animal i have no desire to hunt them and i went and did it and i had an absolute blast and i was i proved myself wrong it was it was so much fun i would highly recommend it well i, I get what you're saying too because you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to Texas to hunt axis deer. People think, like, oh, you're on a game ranch. Like, a game, right. a game ranch isn't, like, they associate it. It still kind of is a game ranch, but they associate it with, like you said, high fence. Yeah, it, and I, I see that because I would say, like, the most of the state, it seemed like, or at least the area that we were in, we were in West Texas, that, like, you go around anywhere and you could be driving and there's, like, an oryx. You're like, what is, I was like, I'm completely foreign to any of that stuff. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> And then they're like, oh, there's a black buck. I'm like, well, that's not native. <laughs> yeah. What are we in but, Africa? Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought you said the Lorax. I was like, dude, what were you taking down there? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it was so, it was so strange, but I've never been 
exposed to that stuff. So it was really cool, I think, because, and that's what I kept saying. I was like, man, this is like, it's almost like being in Africa. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, so. would, I would really, I'd really like to try a hunt like that. I think it'd be, I mean, it's Texas isn't that far. You go do that and then you get that awesome meat. Like you're saying, it'd just be a, a cool experience. Yeah. I, uh, I would really recommend it. I, I shot a couple hogs, which I'd never done before too. Um, so that was kind of cool. Yeah. Have you eaten them yet? Uh, I wasn't able to eat mine because I flew out the next morning. So oh, dang. Yeah. Um, so one question I have talking about like filming everything and, and making the shows and all that, um, with the loyal fan base that you guys have grown, does it make producing things easier or do you feel like more pressure because you kind of have like a fan base to try and impress or hold up to what you've done in the past? Yeah, there is a sense of pressure for sure. Um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be lying if there wasn't. It's, and that's, that's one of the, the things about what we do that I, I kind of dislike. Um, but I understand that it's the nature of our business and that's what we're there to do is to produce. Um, but I don't like, I don't like the pressure put on us, um, to kill because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't feel like that's the real reason that I should be out there. Um, it's just a kill because it, it really isn't. It's there to enjoy, um, the entire experience, not just kill, but, Unfortunately, that's what, that's also something that people want to see at the end of our episodes is us killing something. Um, and so there is a sense of pressure for sure. Um, but it is what it is. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't found another way to kind of work my way around it to where I'd be like, Oh, well, I, you know, I don't necessarily have to kill, but I mean, that's really, when it comes to the end of the day, that's what people want to see. And <laughs> is that something that gets, brought up in discussion with you guys i imagine it does like hey man we really need to make a kill here to close up a show or do you guys just kind of say whatever happens happens yeah um we always know i mean in the back of your mind you're you're like you know it could be the second to last day or the very last day and you're like if i don't shoot something here i don't know what we're gonna do with this content um is it going to be used and some of it we you know we're there and shooting photography all the time so it's never a full waste or anything like that but you know picture perfect hunt would be you go hunt for a few days you capture your story you get to experience the ups and the downs of the hunt and then you end up killing something um but yeah there's definitely times where we're we're, we we feel pressure and we talk about it um and it's just the way it goes And, and i think the more experience that we have and the more years that we continue to do this um you take less pressure off because you know, you're doing as much as you can while you're out there. That's pretty much all you can do is try your hardest and do the best job you can. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. It's never a guarantee. You know, and you could just run those episodes and have like a classic buck footage. You're like, well, Hey, we didn't kill anything this episode, but check this hunt out. And you know, there's the kill. So it's send the, send the crowd home happy. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) And we, we have shown that a couple times um, for sure, because it does happen. Um, well if anything you know if you show if i think if hunting shows put out more shows with no kills and more of like the struggle of the hunt Mm. i think really that's just going to make for better hunters and it's going to make kids or um new hunters have a better expectation of what it actually is like rather than watching a show where every time they go out and kill something within the first day of the hunt as it seems sometimes yeah yeah that's exactly right yeah I mean, there's, I mean, every year we we go on at least one hunt 
um, where we don't get something. So, I mean, we try to show as much of that as we can, but try not to show too much, I guess. Right, right. Um, is it tough to decide, like, I don't know how you guys film your stuff, What, but which content goes to which show when you're filming? Um, no. It's just, we actually, we just go out there and we produce all fall long as much as we can and capture as much of the story as we possibly can. And then at the end of the year, um, or in the winter time, uh, we, we just gather everyone's content and we, um, we basically divide it out where we're going to put it and where we want to show it. Yeah. yeah. Is it, you guys just seem like you have, you've been doing this for long enough you guys, I mean, this is how I feel that your vibe is coming off that you guys are kind of comfortable in what you do and, and you know how it needs to get done and you have a good system. And I, I'm getting the feeling that you're very organized and you guys are, you guys are real professionals at this. So these questions might seem kind of, uh, yeah. Super amateur. You've probably been asked them before, but it's just super interesting to hear. No, no, no. They're, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't think they're amateur at all. I mean, uh, people want to know what's going on, how we how we do things, and and it's it's been something that we've been doing for a while, so we've got a good system down. But yeah, in the beginning, it was it was it was a struggle. I'd say like our first few years, just with having enough stuff, and at the end of the year, we're like, oh, we should have done this, we should have done that, we should have captured this. There's a missing spot here. Like, you're, there's actually not even really much of a story here, but we don't have anything else to show, so we have to show this. And so it's been a good trial and error run. Um, and by no means are we perfect. We still run into that today, you know, where we might miss something as far as um, a moment that happened, and it would have really added well to that story and it's just not there. So, so yeah. Um, you know, uh, did you guys ever change the, your, your tactics? You know, now obviously you got three shows you got to put content to. Mm-hmm. Um, one of your big things is, is dome management, you know, on the, on the, um, uh, now I'm spacing on the, the name I'm looking right at it here. Um, you guys went on, on just a dough fest and mm-hmm. you know it's like you guys said that hey you guys only shoot them December January, you know that comes from your your management program. Has mm-hmm. that changed a lot since you guys started the TV show, or is that have you guys yeah. learned other things? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, because early on we'd get out there and it was opening day and we didn't. I don't know. I think I feel like, well, I know for sure that trail camera technology has definitely evolved since then. And we, we use quite a few more trail cameras, whereas early on we didn't have very many at all. And so we didn't necessarily have bucks patterned that well. Um, we might have one or so semi patterned by scouting him or like the one or two trail cameras that we had. And so when we'd go out to the beginning of the year and we're like, man, screw it. Let's shoot some does. This will be fun. And we, we still might do that here and there, but we were more prone to doing it then. Um, so now I feel like we have a better shot early season um, to, to patterning a buck and uh, and killing him. Or sometimes we've even found that we, we kind of know where a lot of these deer's core areas are at and we'll get in on them in October or just wait for the right, right weather pattern in October and uh, try and kill them then. And so kind of put doe management on the, the back burner and uh, go after them later on and later in the season. So uh, you know, changing gears here, you know, we'll just keep changing gears. We bounce back and forth, so we're gonna, we'll are gonna we have you all over the place. Yeah, so. that's, a, that's <laughs> what we're good at. Uh, you, 
you mentioned you just got uh, got married. Uh-huh. Um, so how does it feel knowing that now your hunting career is over? You know, you're never going to have any free weekends or anything. What, how does that feel? It, uh, it kind of sucks. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life other than just chores and stuff around the house for, for the wife. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it, 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 it actually has changed though. And not, not because of necessarily her request or anything like that, but man, like the first seven, eight years of, of doing this, there was, there was pretty much zero attachment to being at home. I was kind of, kind of a gypsy just running around going wherever I wanted to go and do what I wanted to do. And not that she tells me what I can or can't do, um, because it is my job and I do, I still travel a lot, actually more than probably ever, but there's uh, definitely a sense of wanting to be at home just because you appreciate your time at home because I'm very rarely here anymore. Right. Well, yeah, you're in that situation too, Kurt. Yeah, I, tra- my, I travel for work for my day job, and uh-huh. I was in California until last Friday, so we pretty much had one week to finish up like for the wedding like just the last finish she's done basically everything on the road obviously <laughs> so yeah. uh, she was real pleased i'm like hey i got uh we're recording a couple of podcasts tonight and i'm like i got du- a double podcast night and then uh because what i do is when when i travel for work it's during the summer and, and early fall so we'll, we'll record podcasts in advance because it's, you know we can't do them if i'm not yeah. here um, right so we gotta we gotta prepare a little bit but it's uh one of those things is Traveling's gonna have to start slowing down in the next couple of years and when kids come and whatever else, so Yeah. Yeah, I hear that, man. It's it's everyone always told me about it too. Like they're like, Oh, this'll change. You'll you'll really start to miss home or wanna be at home and spend more time at home and I was like, Yeah, right, that's never gonna happen and <laughs> it's definitely starting to happen. It's I mean you just you fill your life with as much stuff as you can possibly pack into it. And then I don't know, once you get super busy, you're like, okay, I kind of just want to chill out and spend some time at home. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I'm dude. I miss home every single day and I only work like three miles from my house. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm always missing being at the house, you know? <laughs> yep. For sure. Well, it's just like traveling for work. And I mean, it's different. I always picture like, okay, I've been, I was out in California and Southern Arizona. And I was like, if I was out here for a hunting trip, would I feel any different? And I'm like, oh yeah, I absolutely would. You know what I mean? It's just a different vibe, but, uh, it's just different, but it's, it's fun. You get to see a lot and, uh, meet a lot of people. That is true. Yeah. I've been to a lot of places as well and met tons of people and I wouldn't trade any of it. That's for sure. So, Sean, I got one question I've been wondering about, talking about just your guys' experience in the industry and stuff. If you had to pick maybe one or two things, what's your most favorite thing, like, currently about the industry or doing what you guys do, besides the, the besides the hunt or the or the kill of the animal? Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to say uh, all of the, the, the work we put in um, – in Missouri on, on the stuff that we're hunting, um, between my, my family's farm, um, some land that we lease and then a farm that I just purchased. Um, I really get a huge sense of pride of of just working my butt off, just trying to better the habitat and the, the 
all around management of the herd of deer and just seeing it all pay off. It's just, I think that's the most rewarding thing that I get to do. Um, and I know that's not necessarily industry related, but as far as my job, I, that's, that's what I probably enjoy the most. Right. Well, I mean, I kind of, you know, the managing property sort of isn't right in line. Like, mm-hmm. you, like you mentioned of what you do. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, the food plots, it's always still a trial and error process. I mean, we've, we've definitely gotten better at it, but I mean, we, you can't control the weather. So you run into drought or too much rain flooding. And so you got to replan or do whatever and, or plant something else. And it's uh it's a never ending process. Well, if you listen to InfoWars, uh, yes, we can control the weather. The government can, but that's off topic. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, we're we're going to change gears here again. You know, you mentioned the industry, and something that we always talk about is carbon TV. We rant and rave. We just love the product. What? It's such a hot ticket, hot ticket item right now. What? 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 What are we going to be able to expect? Here in the future, we got to know our listeners need to know because we love it. We want to know what we're going to be seeing. Yeah. So, um, carbon TV is definitely where it's at nowadays. Like it's crazy how fast it's changed in the past five to 10 years, you know, from going from TV to more digital content and it's going to continue to go that way. And just new, it seems like new shows are popping up on carbon TV left and right, not just hunting shows. Um, there's lots of stuff on there and just to know that you can pull it up pretty much on demand through any app or device that you have is it's remarkable. I mean, it still blows my mind that you can do that. Um, just, you can be riding down the road in the passenger seat, watching carbon TV through a tablet or something. And that, that's just, that's mind boggling to me. Whereas you don't have to, you know, you're not at, you don't have to be at home or anywhere. Um, specific hooked up to a cable box or something like that. So mm-hmm. I don't, we don't have any, as far as content goes, um, our new content, we're not sure yet. Um, we're gonna, we're still working towards doing something new. Um, I would love to do something on the, um, deer management side, um, our all around process because it is a never ending process. It's year round, uh, with carbon TV and we've, we've talked about it. We just, uh, we just need to concept it out a little bit better and come to terms with them on something, and hopefully we can make that happen. So, yeah, I think that I, would be a, a cool deal. Something where it's uh, like like uh, Bill Winky with Midwest Whitetails does. Except, yeah, like it's live, so you know you're tuning in October 2017, the week of. You know, you guys are in the Midwest. This is what you're doing. You know, kind of a kind of like a do it at home. Yeah, or maybe even or, a or even a even a video of. Maybe Sean, this is kind of what you were saying. I don't, I don't know, but like no, no kills or no like. Okay, we're on this hunt, but just tactics and whitetail patterns and um, more like I guess you call it like the biology side of it to where like what they do, how these animals do this, the ways they set up on them, and all that. And maybe no hunting, just um, like evaluation. In a yeah, way. absolutely. And I mean, I'm not a biologist, but. I, I agree with that. Like we're we're always learning new stuff um, about deer, and we uh, we have a basically a mutual partnership, um, our verbal partnership, I guess you would say, uh, with uh, QDMA. And so, love we spent a their few. We, awesome. Yeah, we spent some time with some of their biologists, and we've learned a lot from them. And um, 
we collaborated just last month on uh, a deer stewardship course up at our farm. And I think there were, I don't know, 50, 60 people there for that. And yeah, I mean, if nobody was filming anything, but if, if we were there doing something of that nature with biologists or whatever, it would be, it would be a total blast because I, I'm always extremely interested in that stuff. And I mean, you can never learn too much and I'm, by no means do I know everything and I'd love to get closer to the fact that I could learn just that much more each year about whitetails. So, for sure, for sure. Um, I think now, if you're okay with it, we hit you with a few listener questions that we had. For sure, yeah. Um, we, I think we made this post the day before the podcast, and uh, so did Heartland Bowhunter and Carbon TV. So I thank you guys for that. Yeah, your um, your biggest fans wanted to know personal things, so we're <laughs> going to get to that. <laughs> Um, Caleb Pounds asked, what plots do you plant and when? So, um, we've pretty much planted all types of grain before. Um, and we are not as good. We found that we're not as good as the farmer. So <laughs> that being said, we don't plant, um, very much grain anymore. Um, at the end of each harvest season, we actually just pay the farmer to leave standing grain. So, corn or beans in uh, specific places that I'll typically flag off for him whenever he's out there combining, um, which takes care of our, our grain plots for us. And they have very high yields, so that's that's perfect for us. Um, as far as our green plots go and our staging plots and all that, uh, I'm still experimenting, um, but for the most part, we've done clover and, bra- and then brassicas, um, so separate plots. Um, and clover's been... Tremendous! It's been phenomenal. Um, anytime that you get a warm day, it seems like during during the rut or late season, they're going to be hammering the greens. So they're going to be going to clover or um, or your brassica blends. But clover would probably be one of my favorites so far. Um, and brassicas, they're they're great as well. Just clover seems to put on a ton of tonnage, and then you know it grows back even if they're if it it has a lot of browsing pressure. So for sure, uh, those work well. Um, and then this year, I actually I planted alfalfa, and tomorrow I'm actually going to go spray it, spray the weeds. I planted it a couple months ago, um, so that's still a work in process. I'm not by any means uh, an alfalfa farmer. I'm just I'm trying it out, and uh, hopefully, I'm going to learn something there. So those are typically the uh, the three that we plant. Um, I haven't I haven't done too much more. Uh, that I can think of top of my head. Yeah. I've, uh, to add to what you were saying about Clover, I mean, I'm no farmer by any means, nor do I, do I have, do I have the equipment? Um, most got a farmer's tan though. I do have a farmer's tan. (laughs) (laughs) So it makes me halfway farmer. Step in the right direction, man. Thank you, Steve. (laughs) It's all about confidence. It's right. I got the confidence of a farmer's tan. So I'll actually, I, most of the food plots I've done have all de- been with like hand rakes and shovels and uh, hand spreaders. Um, get a fifty pound bag of clover and sometimes not even tearing up the dirt at all and throwing it. And I've had good luck with that. Mow it short and yeah. throw out some clover. Putting absolutely yeah. yeah. I would say the number one easiest plot to probably plant would be clover because you can get it to grow pretty much anywhere. And if you, I mean, really. The maintenance is pretty low key. Just, just keep mowing it, and it'll, it'll weed out everything else and just drown it out to where it's it's mainly clover. And 
like you said, it doesn't take much. Just mow it, rake it up, and rake up the area and plant it, and it'll germinate. That and almost everything eats it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so this question is kind of funny. Uh, Mark Reif, not, the question's not funny, the submitter. Mark Reif is, uh, he's actually part of our show. He's like the one of our fill-ins, like the tag-along. He's uh, actually, in our opinion, one of the best taxidermists in the state of Illinois. Um, but he put in a question. Um, he said, what do they feel takes their filming to another level over other shows? Um, I don't want to say that we're better because I don't necessarily think that we're the best. No, go ahead uh, and say it. No, I'm not. <laughs> You're in good company because I, I really, I really don't like. I, I look out there. I, I don't get to. I don't get a chance to watch much TV anymore or competing shows, just because it's kind of the last thing I really want to do in my free time because I'm surrounded by it all the time. Yeah, but yeah, it's when I do. Yeah, yeah, when know. I do watch it, um, <laughs> which is typically in a hunting camp or something like that. I mean, there are a ton of shows that are right up there with us, if not better. But if I had to say the one thing that might set us apart still to this day, I think that's our storytelling, just making sure we capture the right moments and show them um, through our post-production. So, you know, it may not necessarily be film tactics, more or less just getting the the right content. For sure. That's a very humble and and good answer. So I I expected that I mean I don't you know no one ever thinks they're better if you're toward your guys's level you can't think that because you wouldn't be where you're at if you did well Conor McGregor's the top guy and he thinks he's pretty good so, <laughs> you know it's just, that's exactly right he, <laughs> he, he knows he's the best <laughs> you know but yeah you gotta but have that Sean's not also beating people up in the industry I mean maybe he is behind the scenes I don't know what he does yeah you gonna no. you gotta make a hundred and twenty four mil to go box an old dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I'd take that kind of money too to get beat up. Oh, I'd take that fight well, to heartbeat. Well, since we're on that, who who do you have, McGregor or Mayweather? McGregor for sure. Oh, that boy. <laughs> I am hope, I'm hoping for him, but I don't know if it's going <laughs> to happen. Yeah, I don't know either. I I've been following it quite a bit, and gosh, the some of the I I, I follow Conor McGregor because the stuff that he he says he posts. Um, I I think it's pretty funny just how arrogant he actually is. He got a mural painted like behind him in his gym of him punching out Floyd Mayweather. That was unbelievable. Did you see that? I saw it. <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen that. Yet. You know, it's on Sean's wall. It's like Heartland Bowhunter, like crushing insert your favorite tele- hunting television show here. That's a mural on his wall. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be absolutely incredible if that was true. But crushing the crush. No, nah, yeah, <laughs> nah, they, they do have a really good show. I watch their stuff, and their producers from Sub Seven are man, mm-hmm. they're they're super talented. How many awkward situations can we put you in in one podcast? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Well, we only, we only have what is it, fourteen minutes left? So he's counting down. Oh no, he's not. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I my phone's on my computer, and it shows we've been on here for forty six minutes. So. Yeah, right. He told he told his wife, he's like, I'll be an hour. She's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Gene Miller, one of our other good buddies, asks, um, great supporter of the show, too. I think he's listened to every single podcast, and he gives feedback, comments, likes, and shares on every single episode. <sighs> I don't know why. Can't appreciate it more, Gene. Um, how much wind shifts, barometric pressure, and moon phases do you guys follow on your hunts, and does it play into your tactics? Yeah. Absolutely, it does. Um, 
I'm a firm believer in barometric pressure and uh, weather changes, your north wind, um, your your cold fronts and everything. I I've, I learned it right from Mark Drury, just following his stuff and seeing how he his hunting tactics um, and basically just your, your high-pressure system following a cold front during shoot any time of the year really uh not just not just the rut but i mean it, it seems like deer movements at its at its highest any time from september to to uh january or december and i don't i don't as far as moon phases go um i have noticed uh the rising moon later on in the afternoon typically seems to be really really good but i don't follow that as much as most people probably do but yeah, yeah. The north wind, high pressure on the uh, the cold front. That seems to be where it's at, from what I've noticed. All right, yeah, I expected that answer, but I was just curious about the moon phase thing too, because I feel like I'm in the same boat with the moon phase situation, and uh, that's one thing I plan hopefully this summer or before fall that we can get more educated here on the podcast about. And um, I have contacts with some of the guys that have written some of those moon phase books. Mm-hmm or write about moon hunting the moon phases. And I plan on diving headfirst into that and kind of hearing how that all is and the theories behind it. Cause I know Gene is super passionate about what the moon's doing mm-hmm. and he'll text us before we go on hunts and stuff like, Oh yeah. Good moon, bad moon, this or that. And I just, I kind of love you, Gene, but I just kind of go off the wind and pressure and, uh, you know what I mean? That the, the the things you have to pay attention to, um, as far I guess, maybe you have to pay attention to the moon. I don't know, but no, I don't. It, it's it, I, again, Infowars. The moon is just the largest uh, U.S. military base out there. Stop. Just saying. <laughs> I don't know how it controls deer movement, but I'm gonna have to check out this Infowars because oh god, don't. that's twice now that <laughs> yeah. Don't really. We don't believe anything we actually say when Steve opens his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, next question. Moving. Let's get this moving along. All right. Um, Jordan Johnson says um, that he's noticed the changing of sponsors over the years and was curious of why and what would you recommend to 20 million people trying to make shows to recruit sponsors? Um, yeah, there's, there's no doubt that we've changed sponsors for sure. Um, and a lot of that's gone with... Uh, changing of ownerships uh, a lot of companies have been bought out and so when they've been bought out their marketing strategies typically change and sometimes that doesn't align with them working with us and so uh typically they've they've been the one to tell us they don't want to work with us anymore so that's not that would that very rarely has been our decision um only one time have we not worked with someone and that was just because we didn't believe in their product. So first and foremost, it, we're not going to work with someone if we don't believe in their product. And we thought we did the one time and we did not. And I'm not going to obviously disclose who that was, but um, we just parted ways and went a different direction just because we weren't going to be out there using something that we didn't believe in. But as far as anyone else not working with us is just because we don't align with their new marketing strategies. And so they want to, go a different route or or else they just don't have the budget and so as everyone knows um sponsors do pay our bills so we we do have to uh showcase them and we use their products to uh to hunt for sure and 
we're going to be out there um, advertising for them as well. And as far as a new show goes, um, approaching a sponsor, let your let your content speak for itself. That's that's the number one thing I think um, people kind of overlook. They just think that if they're they have a, a TV show, they can go make this sales pitch to whoever, um, and it's going to work. I think that if you can find the proper niche in your content that's going to set you apart from the rest, that's what's going to sell your show. And then on top of that, just network with as many people as you possibly can because you never know who you're going to meet or where you're going to meet. And we've met some of the most ran or we've met some very important people in some of the most random places um, or just met someone that knows the right person. Um, maybe not necessarily even at a trade show or anything like that. And we've gotten our content into the right person's hands and it's produced a, a sponsorship. So just let your content speak for itself and make sure you're networking as much as you possibly can. I love that answer. Dude, he answered that tough question with a slickness. I love it. You gotta have a, <laughs> he forgot to mention you got to have a silver tongue like Sean does. <laughs> I didn't I didn't used to, you know. Back in the day I was a super shy guy and so I would have probably made it like 5 minutes into this podcast and I would have been sweating and I'm like, <laughs> well, what? you know, world class <laughs> hunter, new wife. Yeah, no, you got it down. Okay, I want to <laughs> I want to ask one question uh related to sponsors and I know Almost everyone I know that hunts wonders this. You guys are sponsored by, and it, you can answer this however you want to answer. You can tell me I don't want to talk about it or whatever, and it, it's not a hard question. But everyone that I know that watches shows that are sponsored by this company wonder this. Ram, do you guys get free trucks? <laughs> no, we do not. <laughs> we do not get free trucks. Um, and I, I think that everyone else's deal is um, different. Um, so I, I can't speak for everyone else, but no, we do not get free trucks. Um, we uh, we're endorsed by them, so there is a sponsorship package. But no, the trucks are not free. <laughs> okay, free. it'd be pretty. Sweet if they were though. Free, yeah, free lease for a year. <laughs> no. <laughs> Im- imagine that they're like, "Hey, uh, you're expecting a delivery," and then you see one of those trucks that's like delivering everything. Like, oh, my new uh, Cummins is here. <laughs> yeah, that w- that would be really cool. If like you know, a big huge. Uh, I don't even know what the trucks are called that carry the cars or whatever, but if one of those rolled up with like three or four Ram trucks. That'd be, that'd be pretty legit. Yeah. <laughs> they just back them off. Like, here you go, boys. See ya. Yeah. I, I, here's I, yours. Here's yours. Right. <laughs> you ordered blue. Here it is. All right. <laughs> we didn't have, we didn't have blue. So we made up for it. We sent you a silver and a red one. Hope that's okay. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Just sell the, just sell the red one. <laughs> yeah. It's going on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to ask. I'm sure everyone that might be a question you get asked a lot, or maybe not at all. I don't know, but uh, no, a little bit. I, I've been asked it a few times, but no, I, I wish that was the case. What would you have done if the answer was yes, Kurt? I would have been pumped. Be, yeah, I guess we would have been happy for you too. I've been nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would that would be sweet, but unfortunately, it's not the answer. Yeah. Okay, uh, listener Perry Wayne asks, uh, well, he he wants to hear some early season tips and tactics. Um, and he kind of threw in some examples like hunting near ponds in the morning or the evening or close to bedding, um, public land. Um, so early season, we typically don't even, we don't even hunt mornings um, just because 
I haven't. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like you can pattern them very well in the mornings, early season. They typically go back to bed um, before daybreak, um, and I feel like you're doing more damage than than good. Then the only time that I really hunt the mornings is during the rut. But early season near water can definitely be uh, very effective, just because it's typically warm and dry. So a water source is definitely good and something that I just started getting into. Uh, I don't know if you guys had seen it on social media or not, but I started putting out these, uh, water tanks that I bought from like tractor supply. I think I got like a 60 gallon tank for, or maybe it was a hundred, it was a hundred gallons. I'm sorry for like 50 or 60 bucks. And I bought three of them. I have seen uh, this. Yeah. And so I've been putting out water and, I actually started doing it last October because I knew the, the rut was coming up and it hadn't rained in like a month. It was super dry. And so I was, I put out these water troughs and, uh, it took the deer a little while to get used to it. Probably took them two or three weeks, but during the rut and like late rut, they were just hammering this water. I didn't, I never shot a deer over it, but, um, you know, I had a trail camera on every single one of them and they, once they get used to it, they just, they treat it like, like it would be a pond or anything. And it's, it's awesome. It's, it's a great way to, or a great tactic yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Um, keeping them full, I just have this, uh, it's like a 200 gallon tank you could put in the back of your truck and you could, you can back right up to it and, uh, just open the nozzle and fill it right up. Well, there you go. That's the best. Cause during the rut, them bucks get thirsty. That's water. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, they just water. <laughs> <laughs> he had a, uh, another question like, kind of added onto that is, uh, He's curious on like being aggressive while everyone waits for the rut. I, I think that means maybe he's still talking about early season. Like, do you get aggressive early season, or do you wait till more of the rut before you get aggressive? And I would assume mm-hmm. you're not hunting mornings, so you're kind of taking her easy at the beginning. Yeah, and I I focus more on just the right weather conditions early, and I'm if I don't feel like I have a really really good chance at killing the buck, I'm not going to just go hunt to hunt. And I obviously don't, I never hunt if the wind's wrong. Um, and so I, we set up stands all over the place just for different wind types. Um, but for the most, I don't know, most part, we set up our stands for north wind um, for that, you know, that cold front, high pressure system to follow. But um, yeah, the pre-rust probably when I start to get super aggressive. And that's one of my most favorite times to hunt just because, you know, you don't, none of the, None of the does have gone into heat yet, and those bucks are looking for that first doe, and so they're just traveling around, hitting scrapes, and uh, they're pretty vulnerable. But once once that first one goes in, it seems like the most mature deer is probably going to find her first. Yeah, it, that's like going to the bar at like eight o'clock at night on a Saturday night. You know, there's not a lot of people going on there, and you know, you <laughs> stake your claim, and hey, you get into the right place. Next that's right. You're married. Yep. Yeah. oh i gotta all right so you say you don't hunt mornings in october early october what's the first day if you had to say you know add a five-day buffer in there what's the first day you'll hunt a morning Mm, just the the last week of october that's when we start to hunt mornings nice nice you don't do it like uh because your your guys season's earlier but like ours is always october 1st you always got to hunt that morning though right Opening day, yeah. Opening day. Um, September fifteenth is our opener in Missouri. Um, sometimes, yeah, yep, yeah. I'm not saying that like we don't, we never ever ever hunt mornings. We do here and there for sure. And 
Heck, I went out with Skyler, one of our guys, like five years ago to try and kill a doe. I remember behind my house, actually, um, where my, my dad, my parents live next to me, and we have like 60 acres right there. And we just went out. He wanted to shoot a doe, so I, he came over, and I'm like, all right, this is like October 6th. And like the biggest deer that I had pictures of there, he was, I think, right at 150, um, came in at like 8 in the morning, and he killed him. So, I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't work. It's just one of those things that we don't do that often just because we found that it's a lot tougher. But because like I, I had cameras in that, in the field right there. Um, I think I had three different cameras in this 15 acre field and we were just inside the timber and I had not had that, that deer on any of those cameras in about a month and we killed him right there and he was still never on any of my trail cameras. That's weird, so. man. I just, yeah, I just, I don't think that they move that much. That's kind of what I've found at least. Right. Well, I started to, in the last, I don't know, few years, especially after interviewing so many people from shows and productions and experts, if you will, say the same thing. Don't hunt mornings, early October. Don't do it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things I was like, I never held myself to like, don't hunt in in October. Like I would on the weekends, especially after working all week. Um, but now I'm like, I, I don't do it until in October and it's worked out great for me. You know, I've killed two nice deer in the last two seasons of not hunting hard in the mornings and early season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we appreciate you doing the podcast, man. It means a lot to us. Is there something that we haven't covered that you feel needs a shout out? And uh, if not, where can people find you? Um, yeah, I mean, we we uh, for anybody if there's anybody that's somewhat local to. Uh, to the Kansas City area or even surrounding states, we uh, we hold a premiere event every year in June. We just had it, what was it, like a week and a half ago um, at the Uptown Theater in downtown Kansas City where it'll hold like 2,500 people. people and we show um, one of our, epi- our best episodes for the upcoming season along with Heartland Waterfowl, which is our sister show. And um, it's a huge event we have each year. We, I think... The past two years, we've had a little over a thousand people there, and we wow. just show a speak to our to our season, and uh, we have tons of giveaways. So next year, if anybody's looking for something to do on a Saturday night, early June, which there's typically a lot of stuff going on then, um, if you're looking for something to do, you guys are it's more anyone's more than welcome to come. It's a free event. There's no charge for anything. Oh, no uh, cool, man. Yeah, so. So between that and just our, our new season coming out um, and our new behind-the-draw stuff, uh, we'll be coming out this fall on Carbon TV. I think that's pretty much it. Awesome. Social media? Uh, yeah, just Heartland Bowhunter on Facebook and then Heartland Bowhunter on Instagram. Uh, we put content on there a couple times a day, always new stuff. So check us out. Awesome, awesome. Stick around uh, on the phone real quick, Sean. See if you got anything to add? Not a thing. Not a thing. All right. Well, I got to thank you, Sean, so much. Thanks, Carbon TV, for everything you do. Free content online. Anyone can go on and watch it. Mm -hmm. It's pretty amazing. Uh, CarbonTV.com. Also, check out WorkingClassBowHunter.com. Got new shirts, new hats, a new shirt design coming. We haven't posted anything online about it yet, but it's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just check out WorkingClassBowHunter.com. And thanks for listening, everyone. We love you. And you know what to do. Go shoot your bow.